Last week, as you probably know, was the coronation of King Charles III, uh, which I watched with great interest. And in this episode, I'd just like to offer some of my reflections about that historic event. Stay tuned. Hello, friends. Pastor Tim Westermeyer here, senior pastor of St. Philip the Deacon in the western suburbs of Minneapolis. Good to be with you, as always. And I actually, I'm aware that maybe my voice is sounding a little more normal, so thank you for your continued prayers about that. Um, I have a couple things on my mind today. One is a plug for our upcoming uh, and final Faith in Life event for the 2022-2023 season. Um, I've mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. It will be featuring Bishop Michael Curry uh, next. Next Tuesday, uh, that's a little less than a week of when from when we're taping this. Uh, that date is May 16th, 7 p.m. Central Time. If you're in the area, please come. It's free and open to the public. If you can't be with us in person, uh, please join online, and we'll provide a link for that uh, in the description below. So that's one thing. Um, and thanks to everyone, who, as always, who has made uh, this past year of Faith and Life events so wonderful. Um, and at uh, Bishop Curry's event, we'll have a little teaser for the start of next year as well, which I'm not going to say a lot about, but it is related to the other thing I have on my mind, um, which is the coronation from last week. Uh, I, I mentioned this in the last episode. I've said before, I'm a huge fan of all things English and British, so a big Anglophile. And uh, I did get up uh, early uh, at what about 4.20 uh, Central Time. I made some scones, uh, Tim behind the camera asked if I made tea. I'm not a tea drinker, so I had coffee instead. Uh, but I, w I was delighted to be able to watch the coronation um, festivities and service. And I want to just say a few quick things in response uh, to that service. Again, it was held on uh, May 6th at Westminster Abbey in London. Um, and so uh, three things, I guess. And I could talk for a long time about this. And actually, if you are the kind of person who's interested in doing a much, much, much deeper dive on the specifics, the particulars around the, the coronation, um, the vestments, the history, all of that, um, I will direct you to uh, a YouTube channel done by Dr. Alan Barton, uh, the antiquarian. I think he did 20 separate videos about the coronation leading up to it, each of them about 15 or 16 minutes long. So if you want to deep, do a deep dive, uh, we'll link. I, th I think we can link to that uh, here. So my three uh, responses, though, are, are one, a response of the place. Uh, the coronation was held at Westminster Abbey. Uh, its technical name is the Collegiate Church of St. Peter. Um, and the, a worshiping community goes all the way back to the 900s on that spot. The current building is old, is newer than that, but still quite ancient. And since 1066, every British coronation or English coronation has happened there. So I believe, including last week's, that is now 40 coronations, um, 16 royal weddings, if I'm not mistaken, and something like 3,300 people are buried there. Uh, and so the place itself strikes me at least as significant and important. And we, when you go to visit a place like that, you are struck by the history and by the fact that uh, Christians have been praying and worshiping there uh, uninterrupted now for more than a millennia. And I do think that is worth uh, commenting on and mentioning uh, Winston Churchill 
He's not buried there, but there's a famous plaque in honor of him there, said famously, we shape our buildings and our buildings in turn shape us. Or I guess it's we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. And I think Westminster Abbey, in a particular way, is the kind of place that does indeed shape the worshipers who attend there or the people who observe a, an event like the coronation. So that's one thought. Here at St. Philpadeacon, by the way, I'll mention we're privileged and blessed to have a beautiful sanctuary. And every week in worship, I am reminded of the power and significance of having a, a gracious, beautiful space uh, to come into to worship God. Because again, it informs our understanding of who we are as God's people and it informs our understanding of who God is. Um, so that's the first thought, is, is the place itself. The second is the music. Uh, if you watch the coronation, you know that the, the service, it was a, a, a communion service, and if you're familiar with the liturgy here at St. Philpadeacon, for example, much of the service would have been familiar. Um, but it was filled with beautiful, wonderful music. And uh, a church musician once said to me that a worship service uh, does pretty well if it follows that old quote about what a bride should wear for her wedding day. Uh, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Um, and, you know, you go through the, the musical works uh, in the coronation, and I think it uh, fulfilled that pretty well. There were certainly lots of old things. Some of them are connected to the liturgy. There were new things. There was a new commission by Andrew Lloyd Webber and other uh, English uh, composers. There was something, I guess you could call it borrowed in the sense that there was a Greek Orthodox choir uh, singing Psalm 71, uh, again set to a new commission. Um, and what's the last one? Something old, something oh, blue. I don't know, maybe the Kyrie eleison could be considered something blue-ish. Uh, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. That was sung in Welsh, again, a new commission. Um, anyway, the, the music was, I thought, beautiful. Zadok the priest by Handel has been used since the coronation of George II. If you don't know that piece, Google it and listen to it, and I have a feeling it will sound familiar to it. It's an absolutely stunning bit of a composition referencing back to the days when Solomon was anointed king. Um, and then uh, Christ is made the search sure foundation was a hymn sung toward the end. That hymn tune, which interestingly enough, we sang here at St. Philpadeacon Sunday after the coronation. The tune name is actually called Westminster Abbey which is kind of a nerdy, geeky church bit of data, if you're interested. Uh, and then, of course, the national anthem with the trumpets and so forth. I, I thought the music was fabulous. And again, it's a reminder of the power of music to inform our worship life. And that's something that's very important to us here at St. Philip Deacon as well. I've talked about that before. Then the third thing, I guess, uh, I would just say is the... The, the ultimate message that at least I took from the coronation, you know, I think, and I'd be interested in your thoughts about this as always, I think it's easy for people to say, oh, it's the coronation of a king. It's all about power and riches and wealth. And I am struck actually by the fact that it is a Christian service. I talked about this when we talked about the queen's funeral service as well. But I was struck by how many times in that service the reference was about following the model of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve. And I'm the service was very long. You can look this up and print it if you want. But I'll lift up just three examples of that. Um, the first one. If you watched it, this was the very first word spoken by a 
chorister from the uh, Chapel Royal, uh, which is sort of the, the royal family's chapel in London, who had his, his uh, robes on. And he walked up straight to the king and stood in front of him and from memory said these words, Your Majesty, as children of the kingdom of God, a reference, of course, to the ultimate king, we welcome you in the name of the king of kings. Uh, so again, orienting the kingship of, in this case, Charles III, in relation to the ultimate kingship of Christ. And Charles III responds, in his name and after his example, I come not to be served, but to serve. For my money, that frames the whole message of the coronation. Uh, King Charles uh, then says later in what's called the King's Prayer, something very similar. This is him speaking this prayer. I think he composed it himself. God of compassion and mercy, whose son was sent not to be served but to serve, give grace that I may find in thy service perfect freedom and in that freedom knowledge of thy truth. And then the last thing I'll say, again, related to that, um, this was very early in the service from the Archbishop of Canterbury in a, uh, a greeting and introduction. He reminded us that we also following the example of the King of Kings, are invited uh, not to worry about ourselves, but to serve others. So part of that greeting and introduction says this, let, and I'll close with this as sort of a benediction for us, let us, whoever you are, wherever you are listening to this, let us dedicate ourselves alike in body, mind, and spirit to a renewed faith, a joyful hope, and a commitment to serve one another in love. And I pray that we can do that always. Thanks for being with me. Be well, stay in touch, and God bless. 